Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. In just over a week, Nora O'Donnell will take over as the anchor of the CBS Evening News. We'll be talking with her later. Also, Ashley Watts from the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce will fill us in on a recent opioid summit where Kentucky businesses confronted the reality of the toll that illicit drug use is taking on business. But first, the next president of Georgetown College is here. After a nationwide search, William A. Jones was chosen to be the 25th president at Georgetown. His return to Kentucky is a homecoming for him. President Jones graduated from Berea College. He's originally from Southern Kentucky where he went to Whitley County High School. Jones has an extensive background in fundraising and he's been able to dramatically increase enrollment at Bethany College in Lindsburg, Kansas where he's been present the last three years and at other colleges where he's worked before that. What's his vision for Georgetown College, the home of the Tigers. The soon-to-be president, William A. Jones, is with us this morning. We welcome you. Thanks for coming. Really Thank appreciate you, Bill. It. We appreciate the opportunity. And welcome home. It is wonderful <laughs> to be back in Kentucky. Uh, tell us uh, about, uh, you know, you and I came from the same area in southern Kentucky, so you need to get this right, okay? Yes, absolutely. I'll do my best. <laughs> but you're, uh, you're from Whitley County. Yes. Tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing, some of the challenges that, uh, that you overcame to get to this day. Sure. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to come and share a little bit more about my story and about Georgetown College. As you know, I grew up in Kinsey Holler, Kentucky, South Whitley County, just across the border from Jellicoe, Tennessee. My parents believed in education. They were strong proponents for education. They saw it as a way out of poverty. My mom was 13 years old when she got married, 13 years old. She was an eighth grade dropout. My dad dropped out of school in the ninth grade to make a living for his family in the coal mines. But thankfully for me, when I was eight years old, my parents started telling me, you will be a college graduate. And they uh, beat that into my head uh, on many occasions to make sure that I would get an education, have a chance uh, to have a different life, a transformed life. You were telling me that in difficult times they would say that uh, college graduates had certain privileges. Yes, exactly. Uh, I remember very vividly digging a, a new hole for an outhouse and taking a break with my dad and him telling me, you know, son, college graduates have indoor plumbing. Or we'd be walking back from Ray's Market in Jellicoe, Tennessee, by probably two and a half, three miles back to our home because we couldn't afford a car. Um, and my mom coming alongside of me and telling me, you know, son, college graduates, they have cars. And again, they saw uh, college education as a way to have a better life, a transformed life. And I thank God for that. Uh, unfortunately, my dad died from an unintentional drug overdose. You know, the opioid e epidemic is is something that's uh, ravaging a lot of communities uh, across the country, particularly perhaps Eastern Kentucky. Um, thankfully, my mom is still alive. She's living in Hazard. I'm sure she'll be watching this. So, hello, Brenda Jones. Uh, thanks for investing in my life. Do you think your your knowledge of Kentucky and uh, and its challenges like that, and your familiarity with Georgetown College itself and its mission, uh, will help you uh, hit the ground running? I hope so. You know, Georgetown College is uh, is a special institution. It's a place I've known my entire life. It's a college I heard about growing up. It's it is a, a college that helps to make a difference in the, in the lives of many students from across our state and, and across this region. It's also been transformational, I know, for its local community. And both of those are things I'm keenly interested in investing in, student success and community transformation. As we talk about these challenges that uh, Kentucky faces, do you see the college having an important role in, in helping uh, uh, 
meet those challenges as well. I sure hope so. I hope that uh, as president of Georgetown College, I can be helpful to, to Georgetown, to Scott County, to this region and the entire state. I hope that our faculty, staff and students will join with me in helping to push and pull uh, in positive directions on some of these challenges. What is your vision for Georgetown College? Where, what would you like uh, folks to be saying about Georgetown College in a couple of years? Well, here on the front end, I have a lot of ignorance about Georgetown College. I need to learn a lot more perhaps before I cast the vision. But what I do know about Georgetown College is that it offers a championship level education. Over the last 30 years, Georgetown College has had five Rhodes Scholars, nearly 40 Fulbright Scholars, six national championships in the last 10 years, including the most recent NAI Men's Basketball National Championship. I hope that going into the future that we'll, we'll be better known. I think uh, the, those kind of accolades aren't necessarily known by folks across the bluegrass, and they need to be. Georgetown's a great place to get an education of the mind and the heart. We don't just care what students learn, head knowledge, but who they become, heart knowledge. And that's what really attracted me to this job. It's a, it's a complete education. Do you, uh, would you like to make it your goal to increase uh, enrollment and, and fundraising, uh, which has been uh, your expertise at the other institutions you've served? Uh, for sure. What school wouldn't want to grow? <laughs> and uh, certainly at Georgetown, I think that there's room for growth. I would love to see us uh, grow on the undergraduate side of enrollment, but also on the graduate side. It would be wonderful if we could expand our graduate offerings and, and grow the total enrollment of the college. One of the things I do enjoy is to share the needs of an institution with a prospective donor. And Georgetown has great alumni who are highly supportive. I look forward to meeting them and sharing Georgetown's uh, past, present, and future where we hope we might go and invite those people to support our students. You know, that's really what fundraising is all about. It's not about twisting arms or hitting someone up. It's about sharing a genuine need of an institution and inviting a person who wants to do something good to be a part of that success story. Mr. President, at a time when the cost of college education is high and the, the, the debt often chases people right into adulthood and delays them in starting families and even starting to save for retirement and so forth. What can be done as uh, an institution like Georgetown College also has to pay its bills? Yes. Well, I think it's really important that we work at this at multiple angles. Certainly at Georgetown, we're going to need to try to keep our costs as low as possible. And there are things we can do there to renegotiate contracts with partners, work hard to make sure that we're being smart in how we spend uh, the money that we do have. I think uh, as well students need to be smart in terms of debt that they take on. Today too many young people want to take on massive amounts of debt not just to pay for the education perhaps to pay for a lifestyle that an 18 to 20 year old shouldn't enjoy necessarily so they have to keep their their costs down as well and then again through fundraising work with, with our alumni and friends of Georgetown to help support today's student uh, Georgetown doesn't have a large endowment. Um, it has a, a nice endowment, much larger than I've had the last couple of years. But we need to work to increase the endowment as well to help keep costs down for students. Georgetown has some profile with its athletic programs. How important is it to, uh, that, that that continue? What emphasis do you place on athletics? I, I uh, again, am someone who's a proponent of a, a comprehensive transformational education of the mind and the heart. And I think co-curriculars like intercollegiate athletics play a, a really important role in, a, in an institution like Georgetown College. I want to see us continue to be a championship level athletic program. 
Um, I grew up in Kentucky, of course, as we were just saying. I love basketball, and I am so excited to see the men's and women's programs this year at Georgetown College. I enjoy football, baseball, softball. Uh, I'm excited to see Georgetown College win championships in as many sports as possible during my term at Georgetown College, and I'm, I want to be a cheerleader and a supporter for those. What assets do you see uh, uh, for Georgetown as you, as you look around? I mean, you're, you're in the same town with uh, Toyota Motor Manufacturing, yes. a huge employer. Thank God. You're very near the, uh, uh, the, the state capital, uh, uh, near Lexington. I mean, it's a well-located uh, institution. It is uh, blessed in its location, that is for certain. You know, so many business leaders say location, location, location. I think Georgetown, Scott County, Scott County being the fastest growing county in Kentucky. Georgetown College is blessed to be where it is located at and I think there are a lot of local businesses and manufacturers, entrepreneurs, leaders that we're going to want to connect with to try to take the college to another level in its education for students and in the way that we interact with the local community. This will be a family commitment for you, right? Yes, Your absolutely. Wife is in the studio with us. Yes, yes. And uh, so everybody's on board ready to go. Uh, I think they're as excited as they can be. My wife Amy and the six Jones children, you know, Amy and I... Uh, six? Six, yes. I remember when we first got married, uh, praying with Amy, God, please give us children. We uh, had some difficulties, so we adopted two children. We had two Thanks Fertility doctors and then two uh, surprises of a lifetime at the end. So three boys and three girls. And they'll be uh, elementary students all the way to a, a senior this year at, uh, uh, at Scott County High. Well, best of luck uh, to you as, Thank uh, you. as you get going and Thank come you. back and see us. Right. I hope so. Report I hope to so. us what's going on. Will Jones, who will be the president of Georgetown College, and you'll be uh, going in uh, in a couple of weeks, really, right? Exactly. Yes, yeah. yeah, the 22nd. All right. And we thank you for being along. And hope you'll stay with us here. In just a moment, we'll learn more about how Kentucky businesses are confronting the opioid crisis. A little bit later on, we'll be listening to Nora O'Donnell, who will be the new anchor of the CBS Evening News. Stay with us on Kentucky Newsmaker. We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're glad you're here this weekend. Kentucky businesses are enjoying a strong economy right now, but we're having a real issue with the opioid epidemic. Substance abuse is one of the primary reasons that Kentucky has one of the lowest rates of workforce participation in the country. Ashley Watts is here from the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce to talk about a recent opioid summit and some realities that businesses are facing out there. Thanks for coming. We appreciate Thank you for it very having much. Me. How did we get to a point where an opioid summit among businesses is needed in Kentucky. Absolutely. It's kind of been a long process. It started a couple years ago when we really started hearing from businesses that the opioid epidemic was affecting them. Um, we released a workforce participation study um, that showed that Kentucky has a very low workforce participation rate, meaning those that are able-bodied within the working age, we have a very low rate of those actually working in Kentucky. And one of the main reasons was the opioid epidemic. And at this time, it was realized, realized to us that it was no longer just a public health crisis, it really was a workforce issue. And so we wanted to be part of the solution. It was impacting Kentucky businesses, and we wanted to be pull, you know, pull a seat up to the table and make sure that our voice was heard. Um, we did quite a bit of research on what was our role in all of this. Obviously, there's treatment centers from all across the state. The legislature has done a lot of passage of bills in the last couple of years that have been positive. But what could the business community do to really make an impact? 
And so what we did was we listened. We listened to our members. We listened to chambers and uh, other states that are dealing with the same issue to try to figure out what our role was. Um, we have been a longtime proponent of criminal justice reform here in Kentucky, and we know that the key to reducing recidivism is a job. Um, when someone is incarcerated or they're in treatment, the one way that they really have a path out of that is through employment. And so as the Chamber of Commerce, representing the businesses of Kentucky, we felt like that was our role. We wanted to make sure that people could get a job um, after they came out of treatment or could keep their job while they were in treatment. And so we formed a new program through our Workforce Center to basically help businesses navigate the uncertainty of all of this. It's a and and, and with, I would think one of the uncertainties that they have as a business is, is the stigma. Absolutely. And, and so what do you tell them about that in terms of the new reality they're in. Absolutely, and that really is our overarching goal. There are many goals to this program of helping people and businesses whose employees or maybe are going through this now and what to do with it. There's also the goal of having employers and encouraging them to be second chance employers and really helping them navigate kind of the waters of that. But the stigma issue really is the overarching goal. And I think all of us um, in Kentucky, we all know someone that has been affected or you know, a family member or a friend it knows no bounds no matter where you live or what kind of economic climate you're in. We all know someone that has been affected. And so we really want to make sure that we treat this as a disease and not necessarily a crime. And I think changing that mindset is really part of getting rid of, rid of the stigma that has plagued this issue for so many years. Does the chamber support uh, an effort to relieve businesses of liability, so, uh, which is, you know, that, that is a, a major issue and it has uh, people on both sides of it. Absolutely. We released an opioid report kind of in connection with our opioid summit a couple weeks ago and we gave some recommendations on what Kentucky could do policy-wise to really help move the needle on this issue. And one of the recommendations was to look into the liability issue. I think that is the major fear of businesses when they hire someone that needs a second chance is kind of will they get in trouble if something goes wrong and so Indiana in the last year has passed a bill to kind of help address this and so right now we are looking into that issue and see to see what could be done legislatively to kind of help calm some of the nerves of some businesses who are concerned with that issue but want to do the right thing want to be a second chance employer but just are a little unsure about how to do that. Was it discussed what does Kentucky do with the fact and you said as you mentioned we have a lot of very good programs across the Absolutely. state who are trying to to treat this, but they're overwhelmed. And Absolutely. we know that many people who are addicted are in jail and not getting treatment at this point. Absolutely, and that's why we really want to change kind of the stigma from being a crime to being a disease and treating it as a disease. And I think we all know that if you're struggling with addiction, which is a disease, and you go into jail um, or into any kind of correction facility, the likelihood of you getting the help may not be there. And so I think we need to look at treatment first before incarcerating. Um, one of the suggestions that we have given policy-wise, which actually the chamber has been in favor of for many years is reclassifying possession charges. So here in Kentucky, if you get charged with possession, it is a felony. Um, as we all know, a felony can stay on your record for many years. We do have a new felony expungement law that helps that, but you are charged with a felony. So not only are you struggling with addiction, when you get the treatment that you need, and if you come out of that, you then are left with a felony on your record, and that obviously hurts your chance for employment. Um, so we would like to reclassify 
possession to a misdemeanor so that hopefully that will help people get back into the workforce and not plague them for so many years. It really is a conundrum for Kentucky in that uh, we have this, as you said, very low worker participation yeah. rate. And at the same time, we know that, uh, say, in the Louisville area and the Lexington area, there are tens of thousands of open jobs that can't be filled because people are not uh, mm -hmm. um, in a situation where they could uh, provide that service. Absolutely. We often say in Kentucky, we have too many jobs without people and too many people without jobs. And how do we make those two things match? And really, if you look at it, the opioid epidemic is really one of the stems of this problem. And when you talk about our incarceration rate and how many people are incarcerated, a lot of it comes from addiction. If you talk about people on disability, all these factors that play into our our low uh, workforce participation rate, a lot of it does stem from the opioid epidemic. And so that really, for the chamber, um, being the employer group in Kentucky, we want to see those numbers rise. Obviously, we want as many people in the workforce that there can be, and our employers need employees. And so I think it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck approach right now to where businesses not only want to do the right thing, they need to do the right thing by hiring people who need a second chance because they simply need the workers. Um, we've had several great examples here in Kentucky of businesses who have done that. Here in Lexington, DV8, which is a restaurant that has great food but also a great mission, they hire people that are in recovery to give them a second chance. And it's interesting, once we've started working in this field, studies show that people who are given a second chance are actually better employees. They miss less days they're more productive and so the studies show that the risk is worth it um, we just have to help businesses come to a place where they're comfortable in doing so was there a call to action after this summit and was it was, are there some things that you uh, want to see done in terms of legislation in terms of uh, uh, how employers uh, perhaps take a look at their policies I would say the call to action was for employers to really be open-minded I think for many years um, it probably would have been shocking for the Kentucky Chamber to be okay with talking about second chance hiring or maybe giving someone who a drug test came up positive a second chance but now we're not only saying it's okay but we're encouraging them to do so and we want to help provide them the guidance they need and so I think our call was really just to be open-minded. Let us help you. We have people who are on staff now to go into the businesses of Kentucky, help them navigate all of this uncertainty kind of in this HR world that we're living in now, but to really be open-minded. Um, there were policy recommendations as well. Uh, the reclassification of possession was one, making sure treatment is available is another. And then, of course, looking at the liability issue for employers to see if that could be eased at all um, through legislation. Legislation. So. You are the largest group of uh, businesses in Kentucky. Uh, is this a situation uh, right now uh, that is a drag on Kentucky's economy? Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely it is, just when you look at the workforce participation rate. Uh, but you also, in our report, it details kind of the cost of the opioid epidemic to Kentucky. And it's hard to kind of wrap a number around that because there's so many tentacles of what all this impacts. But if you just look at the cost to incarcerate, um, as we know, corrections, the costs are increasingly getting larger, even after criminal justice reforms have been made to go in the opposite direction because of the opioid epidemic and locking 
locking up people for possession and other drug related, related charges, those numbers have skyrocketed. So that's taken a major toll on the budget. You also look at the foster care system. People who are grappling with opioid addiction, um, sometimes that leads to their children being in foster care and those costs rise too. So there really is a huge impact to Kentucky and our economy because of this problem, not to mention just the people that cannot participate in the workforce. As we uh, barrel toward the 2020 legislative session, there are uh, lots of things the business community would like the state legislature to address. And uh, my understanding is transportation is a very high priority for business. Absolutely. The Kentucky Chamber is very strongly in favor of increased infrastructure funding. Um, and so, frankly, that means raising the gas tax, looking at other fees that need to be raised. We have been in favor of those bills for the last several years. And it really is very simple for businesses to get in line with this policy. Um, we know that good roads and good bridges, good infrastructure leads to jobs. It's always kind of at the top when you look at economic development and what businesses want. They want solid infrastructure. Um, most of the states around us, red states, other Republican states, Indiana, Tennessee, um, have all raised their gas taxes. Ohio recently has done it. And so we really feel like we need to modernize our road fund. Um, people are driving more fuel efficient cars, which is great. That's good. But when that happens, that's less money that goes into the road fund. I think a common misconception is that the road fund and the general budget are all kind of one big um, number. And so people say, well, you know, taxes were raised last year on services or this or that. It's really two separate funds. And so the road fund comes from people paying the money at the gas or registration fees. And yet you do have concerns about Kentucky's overall uh, budget situation, right? I mean, uh, you, you as we look at uh, the revenue code and that uh, some things that uh, uh, are out there uh, to be addressed, uh, and we're down to about a minute here. Uh, you will be watching very closely what the legislature is doing in that regard. Absolutely. And I think we've seen the numbers come in recently that actually the budget's doing better than expected. Um, receipts are up, which is great. However, with a lot of the legislation passed in the last couple of years, school safety, et cetera, there's going to be another hit on the budget. There's going to be more money. And we want to make sure as a business community that education, which is our top priority, is really getting funded. And so we really are in favor of any kind of tax reform um, should not just be revenue neutral, but we really should be able to increase some revenue for education and the other priorities for which the business community stands for. Does that include higher education? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, early childhood as well. That's been something that we've been in favor of for many years. All right. Ashley Watts from the Kentucky Chamber. Thank you thank so much you. for Thanks coming for by. Having Appreciate me. it. And we hope you'll stay with us. We are going to be hearing from Nora O'Donnell, the new anchor, soon to be, of the CBS Evening News. That's next. Well, she will be just the third woman ever to solo anchor a network evening news broadcast. In the coming days, Nora O'Donnell is taking the helm of the CBS Evening News. Nora is joining us from New York now to talk about uh, the excitement that that brings. And Nora, thank you very much for speaking with us. Oh, Bill, thank you so much for having me. What does this mean to you to be the face of the historic CBS Evening News broadcast that was once anchored by Walter Cronkite? Oh man, it is humbling. <laughs> it is very humbling, and I'm I'm honored to take on this role at the CBS Evening News. Um, it is a legacy broadcast, I think, with a bright future, and was anchored, as you mentioned, by Walter Cronkite for more than two decades. And I've been reading uh, Walter Cronkite's uh, biography, and you know, he was known as the most trusted voice in America. And I think that's why this evening news broadcast continues to be as popular as it has been, because people are looking for an unbiased source of information. Um, 
Cronkite had this quote, he said, journalism is what we need to make democracy work. And boy, I firmly believe that. That was established in the First Amendment, the yeah. right to a free press, uh, to hold government officials accountable. And I think um, we all need a, a trusted source of information in order to make all the impo important choices that we make every day in our lives, including at the ballot box. I know he also said, uh, you know, that nothing spices up a newscast like some news. So <laughs> late breaking news and all of that's you know, important as well. Start, yes. This for you will, will start in the middle of July and then there's a plan to move the broadcast to Washington. Now, you know, we have a couple of high profile senators from Kentucky and uh, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul who are up there. What does this uh, being closer to the newsmakers uh, potentially do for the broadcast? Oh, look, every decision that gets made in Washington impacts our lives, right? Not only from taxes, but also to uh, whether it's uh, regulations dealing with clean air or clean water. Talk about the immigration debate or the failure of Congress for decades to do anything about the immigration crisis. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but all of these have a nexus with Washington. And I think as we look toward what's happening in the 2020 presidential race, we want to be able to get as close to this story as we can to give our viewers the very best information that we can. And so having the broadcast originate out of Washington allows us to do more original reporting and fact-based reporting that I think will, will make us distinct from our competitors. What are some things about you that people may not know that may make you, uh, you know, look at issues uh, through a special lens? Well, look, I'm from a military family. Um, my dad was drafted during the Vietnam War and then stayed in and served for another three decades. I think when he retired, he said, I'm pretty sure I'm the last conscript <laughs> in the U.S. Army. Most people who were drafted left early, but my, my parents so much enjoyed serving their country. Now my younger sister is a surgeon at Walter Reed. She's a member of the Army as well. And so many of the issues that I hope we can cover on the CBS Evening News uh, deal with issues that face our veterans and health care. Um, certainly what happens if they are deployed overseas. Uh, we've started a, a series called Profiles in Service that highlights uh, some of our young military leaders who are going on to be probably um, big players in the future. And so that's kind of one issue that, that is, it, you know, I hold close to my heart is, is what happens to our military and our veterans. Well, good luck to you in this uh, new venture, uh, certainly, uh, and your fortunes and ours are tied together. So we uh, certainly hope uh, that everything uh, goes well on the CBS Evening News with the relaunch uh, coming up in mid-July with Nora O'Donnell. We really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. And that is Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to join us bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. Don't forget that Kentucky Newsmakers is also a WKYT podcast. It's a good listen if you're in your car or have some time for that. And follow me on Twitter at KY Newsmakers for Kentucky News and political updates. We hope you make it a good week ahead.